Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Carrie Crowley. Chris, a very special episode planned for today as we'll be joined later on in the show by Arizona State's Assistant Athletic Director for Recruiting, Donnie Yantis. Donnie, in his second recruiting cycle on the job here at Arizona State, his first just finished up. We've got a lot to talk about with him. Excited for that interview, but what we're going to do today, we'll start with ASU's spring defensive primer. And uh, a week ago, we had a podcast saying that ASU was just about getting set to start spring practices. We were looking forward to it early March. And then the Sun Devils decided to switch things up on us. And they're now starting spring ball on March 14th. They've delayed the start of it, Chris. And so now, today, we're two weeks away from the start of spring ball. Yeah, I think I think it's going to not change this time. Sorry if we messed you up there, but ASU was going to have one spring practice before the school spring break and um, then have a big nine day gap, 10 day gap. And they decided that wasn't the best way to go, or maybe they weren't ready for the March 3rd, just given all the coaching changes. So uh, March 14th, then the 16th, and then the following week, they'll uh, be back into a normal schedule, which is Monday, Wednesdays, and Friday practices. So what we'll do on this podcast is run through the personnel at each defensive position group, give our position group overview heading into spring ball, where ASU stands, and what to look for, what storylines to follow this spring. And we'll start off by looking at Arizona State's defensive line, which loses a starter in Viliami Latu, Chris, but brings back quite a few impact players. Tayshawn Smallwood back. He's been playing since his true freshman season, as has JoJo Wicker. He's a junior, so there's good top-of-the-line depth at this position group. Rennell Wren's a guy who could also potentially emerge. He's at six foot five, 300 pounds. Really looks like a prototypical defensive lineman that you want in this scheme. Vili Lami Latu is the, the guy that you that you lose, who's especially meaningful. He was um, a, a middle of the road, uh, one technique, defensive tackle, had a good motor. Uh, he could collapse the pocket. And, and so the question is, how do you replace that? Uh, there's a few different ways that you could go. ASU could go heavier, bigger personnel grouping, play with Rennell Wren as a 300-pound or, or so 6'5 uh, player there. Um, he can be disruptive and uh, has a lot of power and, and length. Um, or maybe ASU looks at playing JoJo Wicker inside, uh, and um, he'd probably have to gain you know, 15, 20 pounds to be able to do that. He actually lost about 10 to 15 pounds upon arrival at ASU to play that end position, as you know, Kerry. But um, you have Tayshawn Smallwood, who's a returning three-technique tackle. He's not somebody that probably you want playing over the football at the nose position. And then when you add Doug Suttle into the mix this spring, um, who's an edge pass rusher, but is that going to be at the double position? Is that going to be uh, as a defensive end? It kind of you have flexibility there to kind of figure it out, and um, and and a big part of that, of course, is Malik Lawal. You don't want to to um, take away the impact that he has. Well, I say Malik Lawal. I, I mean Karan Crump. Karan Crump. Yeah, of course. you don't want to take away the the uh, the the potency that he has as a pass rusher. He was leading the Pac-12 in sacks through about two thirds of the season, but then they moved him to more of an inside linebacker situation because they had injuries. So. Um, What's that going to look like? And then you have others um, like Emmanuel Darius, George, George Lee. Lee's a guy, and you've also got DJ Davidson coming in, right. a freshman who's a mid-year enrollee who can potentially immediately help this team if he has a strong spring. Yeah, I think Davidson is a guy who's a, a, a nose tackle, 320 pounds or so. George Lee can play three technique or one, so he's um, one of the more versatile pieces that you have. Um, Darius is probably a depth guy who can play either of those spots. Um, what's that going to look like? They, they, there have been years in which they haven't been able to rotate their players enough up front. Um, sometimes they've been able to have like a three tech, a three tackle rotation, and um, so we'll see if if Davidson's able to. Uh, help you out right away in the spring. You get a good sense of that. Uh, Doug Suttle's capability will tell you a lot where you're at with the linebackers because it's all kind of interchangeable. It, um, 
a lot of it may come down to how they feel about Christian Sam and DJ Calhoun and Malik Lawal, who's uh, got the ability to be um, a versatile piece, sort of like a Kron Crump, which is why I mistakenly uh, named him first. But uh, but yeah, I I think um, they they probably didn't uh, get as much help as they wanted in the recruiting class. Like they probably could have used a junior college defensive tackle, but the talent there is is still pretty good. Two other names to watch at that defensive line position group include Christian Hill, a guy who's a junior college transfer, really big physical specimen. Can he put it together? That's a question ASU will be looking at this spring. And then Jalen Bates, who showed promise early on in his career, he'll be out for the spring with an injury. Sean Slocum uh, told me last week that he thinks that Bates can be a good pass rusher, and, and um, he's 265, 270 pounds now. So he has some 5-3 technique um, versatility, but he's kind of an upright player. Um, so I don't think he's probably going to play inside. The questions are how he really handles the run. Christian Hill, they 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 burned his red shirt last year, sort of infamously, to have him be a blocker in the Sparky formation. Um you want him coming off the bus early because he, <laughs> he's a he's a quite a good looking specimen, but a lot of the skill development stuff he's still pretty early on because he's newer to football. Uh, but but maybe he uh, um, shows a, a a good growth trajectory that, that puts him into the mix. Now looking at the Sun Devils' next position, it's the devil backer spot. We're not quite sure how Phil Bennett will use the terminology. He said to us that he'd like to call it the buck linebacker. It's a hybrid between an end, a pass rusher, a linebacker who can drop into coverage. It's the position that Karan Crump played quite a bit on passing downs last season, where he really made his mark as the second-team All-Pac-12 performer, was near the top of the Pac-12 in sacks a season ago in his first season uh, playing at ASU after matriculating from the junior college level. Everybody calls it a different position in the NFL. It's like they all have their own little names, whether you want to call that a buck linebacker, an elephant. You could call it a Rambo. You could call it uh, devil backer, Hercules, <laughs> you could, whatever, devil backer. But basically, it's a hybrid uh, a pass rusher. ASU's used that player from a three-point stance uh, or a two-point stance. It, it's It's... Uh, as it's uh, been oriented, it's been uh, the, on the boundary side of the field. Cron uh, Crump is a, an undersized edge pass rusher who's usually operated from a two-point stance, has a lot of initial quickness and explosiveness, and he can bend the edge, and he's elusive, but he played 220 pounds or something like that um, last year. And, and the concerns were him being a, an every-down player, being able to hold up physically against the run and, 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 and be a full service. Um, he's trying to add some size this year. Um, are, are they going to decide to keep him in that role? Um, I don't know. I think, again, it comes down to what all the other pieces are able to do. We know that that he's going to be on the field somewhere starting for ASU. He was one of their best uh, returning defensive players. That probably will be a double backer, but you never know. Maybe that ends up being as, as a will linebacker or something like that. Yeah, a lot depends on how ASU orients its defensive line because if the Sun Devils feel confident in their depth at that position group, perhaps they slide Doug Suttle out to devil backer. Yeah with all of his pass rushing capabilities and move Karan Crump back to the linebacker level. And A.J. Really, Latu. Exactly, playing from a two-point stance. And A.J. Latu's the other guy to talk about here. He'll be in the mix this spring. He's been playing that position for multiple seasons now. As a senior, uh, Slocum talked about his football IQ being high. They like what he brings from a, a physical edge component. Again, plays with a pretty good motor. He's not going to be that dynamic pass rusher in space. But... Uh, it, but um, a lot of this is going to be tailored to the type of opponent that you're able to play on a week-to-week basis once you get into it. I mean, he's the the the, the more physical guy that you want to be able to hold up on the edge there uh, when teams want to try to outflank you into the boundary. At the beginning of last season, Karan Crump really played primarily as a devil backer, but as ASU's depth diminished at the linebacker level, remember they lost Christian. Sam Kalen Thomas took a redshirt season. Karan Krupp ended up moving back and playing a bit of Sam linebacker when Salamo Fiso went down. He paired with DJ Calhoun in the middle of ASU's defense, and so that's another position group that Crump may get a look at. We know based on talking with Phil Bennett, based on talking with Keith Patterson, based on watching Karan Crump play last season, that he will be on the field for ASU. Could it be at inside linebacker where the Sun Devils return DJ Calhoun and Christian Sam? 
the question here, as I see it, really is what's Phil Bennett's uh, perspective on playing Christian Sam, DJ Calhoun, and Karan Crump together at the linebacker level if Doug Suttle ends up being an impact devil backer and you want to keep JoJo Wicker at end? Um, is that more preferable to going lighter, uh, having more of a defensive back type of a player at spur? in which case you probably kick Christian Sam to Will, DJ Calhoun to Sam, and you roll with Kron Crump at your at your devil position or um, buck linebacker, if that's what you want to call it. Um, and I don't know what the answer is there. Phil Bennett, in the last two years, played more of a nickel personnel on base downs with the spur position being a lighter hybrid uh, corner safety uh, type of a player. In the past, he's gone with more of a a guy who was like Elio Mokiola, who is frankly more of a in-between a safety and a linebacker. Um, and and um, so that's that's what they're going to have to figure out. Of course, they haven't worked with these guys at all. They haven't seen any film of them. And um, uh, and so that's, that's, that's yet to be determined. But I personally think Karan Crump is very much of a forward pl- mindset player. Uh, he's not somebody you really want to have to do too many key reading and dropping and covering. They talked about the, the buck linebacker being a guy who's going to have his own area responsibilities possibly. Um, as soon as you start putting covering running backs out of the backfield and all that, I think that that sort of changes the dynamic to some degree about what we know uh, to be very good about Kron Crump. And, and uh, so I think some of those questions are going to have to be resolved. Well, there's no question that Crump is fast enough. He was a gunner on the punt team last year, one of ASU's probably top three or four fastest guys on a team that a really includes good one. Kalen Balaj and, and Tim White yeah. last year. So that speaks to his speed. But he was also very explosive coming off the edge as a pass rusher. And one of the inside linebackers whose explosive list whose explosiveness has definitely caught our attention, Chris, is Malik Lawal, who's a sophomore, and there was video of him yesterday squatting 500 pounds twice. Yeah, um, Malik Lawal was really strong coming out of high school. I remember talking to him at the time. Even before he tore his ACL as a senior, he had had squatted well in excess of 400 pounds. Um, So not not really surprising. By the way, great form with 500 pounds. These were legitimate full squats. Uh, that, that he was doing. And I, I again, I liken him to being somewhat like a Kron Crump. They have, they're about an inch or so apart in, in, in height and they probably weigh about the same. They have the same body type, the same quick twitch explosiveness. Um, so there's some interchangeability there. But, but Malik Wall, the Wall is a guy who, again, he has certainly the athleticism to be able to cover the the backs the way ASU uses a will linebacker he has the the range to run laterally and um and so so uh, he's a full service guy and and he also seems to be very motivated uh, he's like on social media he's been one of the more uh, laser focused guys in terms of uh, the, the the rhetoric that he has out there yeah if Malik Lawal is completely healthy in 2017 especially in the spring I would be very surprised if he didn't get an extended look from this coaching staff especially considering that Phil Bennett wants to become more explosive on the defensive side of the ball absolutely and and we shouldn't leave out Kalen Thomas a former four-star recruit yeah um, I really like Kalen Thomas coming out of high school I saw him as a um, Chris Young type could play a bigger bodied spur if they wanted to go heavier or play Will. Knack for the football, tackler, um, the guy who doesn't look look really great physically on the hoof, but he just kind of makes plays. And he had a meniscus tear last year in the spring that kept him out, and he wasn't back to 100% um, by the time the season had started. And I think that left him behind the eight ball to some degree, but now he has a chance to sort of step out of that um, because, of course, you lose Salamo Fizo, who's been a mainstay on the interior. And, and so – who, who's going to replace him and how's that going to look? A yeah, really important spring for Kalen Thomas because he had his red shirt burned as a freshman to play special teams and then comes back and is hurt. So that's when he takes his red shirt year. So now he's a sophomore. Now he's got the opportunity to participate in a full spring in a healthy capacity and really challenge that at that inside linebacker position. Chris, now we take a look at the defensive backfield for ASU, looking at the bandit spurs and the cornerbacks and field safeties. We'll first look at the bandit spurs. Phil Bennett 
Bennett has indicated, as you've said in the past, he's played with really five true defensive backs, and the way the Sun Devils recruited has indicated that they they want that spur to p- position to become a more explosive, more dynamic player. And so when you start looking at the guys who ASU has at this position group, Marcus Ball figures to be a guy who's going to fit in at either that bandit or that spur position moving forward. That's the question you have here is is um, do you return Marcus Ball to spur where he started out last season uh, playing when Lyo Mokiola wasn't out there on, on the field? And uh, Marcus Ball obviously did much better when you moved him back f- uh, to the bandit and he had more time to, to be able to read and identify plays. And um, he was a leading tackler for ASU in the second half of the season by far. So um, there again, do you decide to play ball back at spur which then makes your linebacker situation um, a little bit tighter with your personnel and the options that you have there and it probably leaves somebody else on the bench because if, if you're if you're playing Marcus Ball up that means that Christian Sam and maybe DJ Calhoun are playing inside linebacker that means you got um, Karan Crump playing as your edge pass rusher what does that mean for Doug Suttle is he an every down player or is he a sub package guy that you only really use on third downs because you have Jojo Wicker or does that mean you're kicking Jojo Wicker inside so literally what you do at Spur and Bandit with this team as far as getting your best 11 players on the field uh, influences and affects what happens even up front uh, with your def- with your with your defensive line and and um, I don't know he he definitely did look better as a bandit but but maybe with another year of maturity and film and all that stuff he's able to move up and play spur he looks physically more like a spur. Yeah, there's there's no doubt that Marcus Ball looks like that hybrid linebacker that you're starting to see develop in the NFL, kind of like Dayon Buchanan yes. plays for the Arizona Cardinals. Listed as a linebacker by ASU for maybe still, but at one point for exactly. sure. But the question is, can he develop the key read instincts, the natural instincts that Laiu Mokiola had to effectively play that position? It's Some about- of the other guys at the Bandit Spur spot, Chris, really relatively unknown what type of contributions they'll be able to give the Sun Devils this year. A pair of junior college guys to talk about who kind of struggled in their assimilation to the program last season, but sometimes that is the case for junior college players. And Jamarcus Rhodes, a senior, and Dion Guignard, a junior. So Guignard is very much in the Marcus Ball mold physically. Um, I, I actually see him as a spur will as opposed to a spur bandit. Uh, and um, I think that he has a good motor and he's he's plays with a, with a, an air of toughness about him, physical all of that, but again, kind of more of a linear athlete, bigger framed, tighter hips, um, not going to be a coverage type defender. Um, so, you know, what do you do there? I, I, I don't know. Who's the other one? Uh, Jamarcus Rhodes. Oh, yeah. Jamarcus Rhodes, I think, is is they, they tried to get him to play corner. Um, I think that that's not a fit at all for him. He's going to have to be a bandit uh, at this level. Might be able to play some field side, but, but more so when you're probably playing too high safeties and in zone than the way the ASU has tended to play. So he's definitely um, got a chance to push if they decide to move Marcus Ball uh, up to spur. When you look at this bandit spur position group, it's kind of a lot of guys who will be special teams players for ASU. When we talk about Guignard, Rhodes, and then you've got a pair of juniors in Daz Tadalatassi and Tyler Wiley. Yeah, um, again, both of those guys are bandit spurs. Tyler Wiley, they, they wanted to be a cornerback. He's just too big, didn't have the foot quickness to be able to do it. Um, and, and I and I think uh, Daz Tautalatasi, um, he's a great special teams player, as you mentioned, but there's we haven't seen anything that leads us to believe that he's going to be able to make that transition to being an every-down player or even a sub-package guy defensively. Um, but he is one of the best video game players on the team, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> now, when we look at this Bandit Spur position group, in the fall, we'll talk quite a bit about the two players ASU, or the three players ASU acquired at the position group in KJ Jarrell, Evan Fields, and Ty Thomas. But for now... Ty Thomas is here in the spring. Uh, Ty, Ty Thomas is here in the spring. That is correct. So, so. he may actually factor in, to some degree, as well as a, a Bandit. I, I look at him as being kind of a more athletic version of Jordan Simone. A headhunter, very physical, coming up and making plays against the run in front of him. I think he has more speed to cover, though, and so don't let's not be surprised if he actually pushes himself into the conversation, particularly if Ball ends up getting looked at as a spur. 
yeah, Ty Thomas could certainly crack the two deep by the end of the spring if that's the case. And when you look at the defensive backfield, we of course split things up, bandits and spurs, and then cornerbacks and field safeties. Last year, ASU starter at field safety was Armand Perry. He's headed into his junior season. Chris, he's the one guy that can kind of cross over in between these two position groups and fill in where ASU needs him to. He's definitely among the five best defensive backs on the roster. It's just a matter of where ASU sees him fitting in. Don't, don't you think that he's the only safety that they have on the roster that could play all three of the positions at a decent level that we know of? I would put him at spur because he can play so well against the run and he has experience at nickel corner. So you say that, but then would you be able to find three uh, corners? That's slash the question. Field safety? Can his brother Alex come in in the fall and have a starting spot? Yeah. So with when you lose Mokiola, Armand Perry has a lot of the similar kind of traits that he's able to, to, to handle that type of a role. But the problem is, is that you didn't add anything else from a junior college standpoint yet or postgraduate transfer standpoint yet to help you as a cornerback in field safety. And as a result, they probably still might need uh, Armand Perry as a field side safety. And, and especially when you only have one corner who's sort of solidified and that that's Creamore, of course. Yeah. Well, just, at the other position groups, we've gone down the list of players kind of by year, looked at their different potential. I think at cornerback safety, because we know that there's going to be five defensive backs on the field for ASU in a lot of these situations, and Phil Bennett, uh, I look at this as who are going to, who are the pieces that are going to fit this puzzle for ASU. We know Armand Perry is going to be a part of it. We're pretty sure Marcus Ball is going to be a part of it. You can pretty much count on Kareem Orr being a part of it, whether that's at cornerback or field safety. And then things get really interesting. Is Maurice Chandler ready to start at corner for the Sun Devils? Can Chase Lucas take over as a field side corner or a field side safety? Robbie Robinson, he had some success early in the season last year as a nickel corner. Where does he fit into this equation? And we're going to be writing more about this um, with a lot of analysis on the premium side to follow. But what I noticed from Phil Bennett's teams at Baylor was uh, homogeneous defensive backs. It was like very interchangeable four or five guys that could play uh, safety, either safety spot, either corner spot, even nickel, because they all have the ability to play in the variety of coverages, zone man, uh, press, off. Um, and and Chase Lucas is, is a benefactor um, of that. He's a guy who I think can can play any of those positions effectively. We, we talked to him recently. He's up to 182 pounds. Robbie Robinson is a cover guy who I think maybe didn't get as good of a look as he deserved last year, especially as the season unfolded. Of course, you have Maurice Chandler coming back. Is he going to be able to make that jump? that Juco jump from year one to year two that we've seen some other guys in the past uh, be able to accomplish. And um, and then is anybody going to like jump out and be like a surprise guy that comes out of nowhere to put himself into position? We'll have to see about that. If you're looking at this defensive backfield right now, Bandit, Spur, the two cornerback positions, field safety, how do you build it on the first day of spring? Um, me personally, I would probably... Uh, keep Armand Perry and Kareem Moore where they're at, Marcus Ball where they're at. Um, so that that way you only have to fill your other uh, cornerback spot. Uh, and then you put somebody else in that spur, who, whoever you decide that that would be. Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I would even look at to see if Christian Sam can play that um, a, a, as one possible option. But I think you want to identify um, if anybody else can step up into the roles. I would probably put Maurice Chandler as a corner. I would put um, Chase Lucas as the number two field safety behind Armand Perry. And I would um, take a look at some various assortment of different possibilities uh, at that spur position to sort of figure that out. And then from there, based upon seeing how guys did uh, backing up your, your projected starters, whether that's Lucas, Robbie Robinson, um, uh, maybe, maybe that's um, Ty Thomas or, or somebody else that then would maybe enable you to move some of your other more known pieces into the other spots. Should be a really interesting spring to follow for ASU on the defensive side of the ball. We've talked about 15 to 17, maybe even 18 players who have the potential to lock down a starting spot come the fall. That's why these position battles and these uh, position breakdowns are going to be so intriguing to follow in the uh, in the month ahead when we'll ASU starts spring ball on March 14th. We can say that with a little bit more certainty right now. Yeah, Chris. we'll be out there every day. Looking forward to covering it. We have daily practice reports in our um, that are really observationally based analysis um, in our 
uh, form, The Devil Sanctuary. Make sure you, you visit sundevilsource.com. The sign-up button's right there in the top right. Uh, join us. There's a seven-day free trial, so no harm, no foul. If you decide you don't want to participate, probably a really cool thing to, to jump in there at the start of spring football, just given that you have Phil Bennett uh, as a new defensive coordinator, um, new defensive line coach. You got uh, three new coaches on the offensive side of the football, including Billy Napier. And, and um, the level that we're talking about this stuff here uh, only even gets to a deeper place uh, when you visit the sanctuary, and that's on a day-by-day basis. That will do it for our ASU Spring Football Defensive Primer. Coming up next, our conversation with ASU Assistant Athletic Director for Recruiting, Donnie Yantis. Stay tuned. All right, we're joined now on the show by Arizona State Assistant Athletic Director for Recruiting, Donnie Yantis. Donnie, in your second cycle with ASU now, it's just getting going, hired in April of 2016. How's it feel? It's good, good. We're, we're on a roll here trying to get our 2018 class, um, get into our new coaching staff and get just really get our new coaching staff acclimated to what we're doing and try to get all the processes in order. You're a Valley guy, grew up around here, went to Paradise Valley High School, Mm -hmm. then coached for 14 seasons at Paradise Valley High School before moving on to Arizona Christian. You helped found the program there, two seasons there before taking the job last April here under Todd Graham. How how really has this football scene changed in the Valley since you've grown up and you've been a part of it for so long? Well, I think, number one, the the amount of schools has – you know, quadrupled. There's been so many new schools since when I when I went to school, and then as you get all those new schools, obviously the population has grown. So you got a lot of uh, families moving in, and and the the talent has just grown tremendously. And as long as you know, also with the the coaching talent, there's a lot of coaching talent in the state. So I think with the coaching talent, obviously the population uh, grows. That you you have an opportunity to have more players. And I think in Arizona, you've seen over the past five to ten years the amount of uh, Division One talents come out of the state and even playing in the NFL is pretty remarkable from 20 years ago. When you were growing up, did you know that you wanted to pursue a career in coaching or what was it like for you as you were going through that, that part of your upbringing? Yeah, when I was a freshman at Paradise Valley, I was in that weight room and I had one of my close friends I'm still friends with and he had said to me, you know, when you were a freshman, you, you were, we were doing, we were benching and he said, I told him that I was going to be the head coach at that high school. Now, I was that. I think my coaches were um, like fathers to me, and I, I looked up to them because I didn't have a father. So it was one of those things where um, I looked it up to those guys, and I wanted to be like them. So I emulated everything they did, you know, as a as a young coach and growing up, and learned everything I could learn as a player, you know, from a high school all the way up to uh, when I was a college player. So no doubt about it, I think I, I wanted to impact young men like like those coaches impacted me. Played at Paradise Valley, then you matriculate on to Glendale Community College. You go to Southern Utah and play, and then you come back and coach at Paradise Valley High School. 14 seasons there. What ended up inspiring you to make that jump to Arizona Christian and help start that program? Well, you know, I'd, I'd had some opportunities to um, to move on to college level in the early 2000s, um, but I had a daughter that I wanted to be be there for. I wanted to see all of her track meets, all of her volleyball tournaments and games and all that kind of stuff. So. I made a commitment that I wasn't going to do anything, move to any other job, even including high school jobs, until she graduated. And she graduated in 2013. And in that uh, 2014, after that, uh, you know, after that 13 season, ACU opened up. And the principal that was at Paradise Valley when I attended PV was actually the provost at ACU. So that was kind of my foot in the door to to get my name in the hat. And, um, and I always had – the desire to coach at a higher level. Um, I enjoyed high school, loved it, but I'd done it for, you know, 15 years as a head coach and just decided that that was a, a great challenge for me. You know, you know, I like to do things people say you can't do, you know, so I, I thought it's the first non-Division One program in the state of Arizona, four-year school, and I thought that, you know, we needed it, we've needed it for so long that I thought it was a great opportunity and they presented it to me. And I didn't, you know, like anything I've done, once I, you know, make a decision and, it, and God opens that door, I just bust through it and roll, and that's what we did. And so after two years, uh, Todd Graham starts talking to you about the opportunity at ASU to go in a little bit different 
trajectory with your career, um, what, what led to your decision to feel like this was what you wanted to do? Well, I think, you know, when Coach Graham first got here, um, my daughter was having a volleyball tournament over here on the, on the, at the PE facility here at ASU. And back then we had DVDs. So I had a quarterback, a little skinny quarterback named Ryan Finley that I brought over the DVD. It was in Coach Graham's first week. And so I got up in the office and it was just him up here. And I think John Wren was up there. And my wife and I walked in and Coach Graham brought us in his office and talked to us for about 30 minutes. And so that's how the relationship started. And Lori and I actually um, attended church here in the Valley and we invited him to go and he went. So we kind of developed a relationship over those four years prior to me coming here. Um, where I think he had some trust in, in what I'm about as a person character-wise and obviously as a coach and recruiter and stuff. And I think the ACU thing, uh, him and Coach Norvell, Mike Norvell, um, actually helped me in uh, communicating with that president that I'd be a good candidate for that job just by from my character standpoint because they didn't really know me as a coach other than what I've done sure. on the high school field. But uh, I was certainly appreciative and of Coach, and coach Norvell and Coach Graham when they, when they did that. And... You know, I'd always kept in contact and knew what was going on at ASU, you know, with all the movement and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd always keep in contact with Coach. And um, I always – we have similar um, personalities when it comes to how we run our programs in terms of discipline and character. So I was attracted to that. And I think uh, when an opportunity came about, you know, I let him know that I was interested and invited me over to spend the day with him and talked with him and, you know, how that process goes. And – you know, I told my wife we, we didn't hurt anything in four or five days, and I said we went to went to bed on Wednesday night, and I said, you know what, it's going to pray on this, and if God opens that door, we're just going to kick it in, not even look back. If he, if he doesn't, I got a great job at Arizona Christian that uh, that we're building something special there. Um, and then next night, Coach called me hmm. and said, yeah, you want you want to be with us? And I said, absolutely, let's go. So I think that's how it worked out, and um, it's been great. Uh, Coach Graham has been very good to me, and and since I've been here and working with him um, sharing his vision on, on his program and Arizona State's program and on what we want to do and bringing the right the right fit you know not, everybody talks about all these recruits but it's the right fit and I think we're doing that during your time at Arizona Christian I remember being struck by the roster composition that you were able to develop there with the Firebirds mm -hmm. just so many different players from all over the state of Arizona line that roster mm -hmm. during the first two seasons for you how did that give you a base of knowledge within this state and prepare you for your first year on this job? Well, 75% of our, our roster was Arizona, and that, and that was strategic on how we did that. Um, I hired coaches from all parts of the Valley, um, high school coaches, to become my coaches there, and it was strategic to make sure we, we were in all, all phases of the state. So we did that. Um, I think it was important. You know, I, you know, when I was a high school coach, there was a number of us that started the AFCA, AZFCA, which is the Football Coach Association. We started that in the early 2000s. And that, uh, I think, you know, get, having a relationship with those guys and then the rest of the state, I was one of those guys, I didn't, I didn't burn any bridges. You know, I never ran a score up on anybody, although we didn't have a lot of chances to do that. <laughs> but, no, I didn't run the score up on anybody. I thought we, we did it the right way. You know, I wasn't out recruiting illegally and, and bringing kids into our school illegally. I, I did it the right way. I thought we ran a class program. And I think that paid dividends when I got to ACU. When I got to ACU, all those guys – we're just funneling me guys in, in trying to help us out. And, um, and, I, and those, again, those guys are allies in here at Arizona State. You know, if we, if we, we know there's a guy, I mean, they call me. If, they, if we don't know there's a guy, they call me and let me know. Um, so, you know, I, I've gotten three texts today from some pretty high-profile coaches in our Valley that say, hey, what about this guy? What about Junior Day and these guys? So, we're, you know, I have good relationships with our state coaches, and I want to continue to build on that. Um, you know, as we move forward and, and they know that Arizona State supports them, you know, and, and, you know, myself and Conrad Hamilton being here, being former high school coaches from the Valley, I think is, has been big for our high school coaches. To that point, um, we've talked to a lot of high school coaches around the Valley about their perception of ASU as we've been doing this, covering recruiting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then um, after the ASU hired you, uh, you look, talk to maybe Jeremy Hathcock at Desert Ridge mm -hmm. or Rich Welbrock, uh, who was at Desert Edge and, and now who's transitioning to take over the Basher program. Mm -hmm. um, those coaches, I think, felt like maybe some of their players were overlooked by ASU at times. Um, there's uh, a sentiment maybe in the valley of, you know, 
trying to find the right balance uh, mm-hmm. of, of local players and how that works. And of course, everybody feels like they have guys that are mm-hmm. that are good enough. Um, what's your perception of that? Because you have this unique perspective of having been on the other side of it, right. and then now being in your role that you have at ASU. Well, I was one of those guys. I had a bunch of guys at Paradise Valley that I thought Arizona State didn't recruit at that mm-hmm. point in time. But you know, as I gotten in this job, I think it's about the right fit. And uh, you know, there are a lot of great players here that that we won't offer yeah. at Arizona State because they're just not the right fit. It doesn't mean they're not great players, and they'll go on to other schools and and fit the role that they need them to. But I think um, you know we're going to do our best, and we're going to number one, we're going to take care of our state. We're going to vet. We're going to evaluate every single top prospect in the state and we're going to uncover any guy we can find in the state first and then we're going to go to southern california if we have a guy in southern california and a guy in arizona are equal we're going to we're going to take the arizona kid first and coach graham has made that a a priority so um this is arizona state so we want to focus on our state first and then when we have to go outside our state to find the talent we need to we will do that but uh i think the coaches know um that I'm very, very much a straight shooter. You know, they'll say, "Hey, coach, can you evaluate so and so and give me, give me your honest opinion?" I'll evaluate him. I'll show him to one of our coordinators, position coaches. Then they'll say, "Yeah, hey, he's not quite what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me why. This is why." I go back to the head coach and go, "You know, it, you know, if you don't have to agree with us, but this is where we're at on him. I just want to shoot you straight." And I think they appreciate the honesty right. rather than beating around the bush. I think it's important that we're, we're straight shooters with them. Um, shoot them straight, even though they may not agree with it. I think that they obviously respect it. Um, with the signing class we just had, I think we, we're starting to build the confidence in the state. I think when, when you think of a, a high school student-athlete prospect in the state, I think that they're going to they're gonna consider um, Arizona State. Yeah. You're hired in April of 2016. On February 1st, 2017, Arizona State signs nine in-state high school mm-hmm. prospects, one of the largest in-state halls in program history. What did it mean to you to have that sort of immediate success in the state and to, to have your message get across so well? Well, I think it's good for our program, I, and, I, and I don't think it all falls on me. I think our coaches did an outstanding job, and Coach Graham, you know, and those young men around our campus um, did a great job recruiting them. Um, but I think, you know, Coach built a relationship with him along with our position coaches. So, I, you know, you know, I think I have something to do with it, but I, it's really it's a team effort, you know. So, But it, it's really good, you know, to get all those kids in Arizona. But, you know, we'll find out in three to four years how that real, how this class really pans out. You know, it's, it looks good right now, um, and I'm, we're real confident and excited about the group we have in coming in. But, it, you know, we'll know the we'll, – we'll reap the rewards in three to four years when we find out when these kids are all conference, how many Rose Bowls they've won, those type of things. And if we do that back to back to back, that's when you're going to see significant growth as, you know, putting great um, local classes in our base recruiting areas, put those groups together back to back to back. That's when you're going to see, you know, championship opportunities every every year. Yeah. So that's the, kind of the goal. And you signed three of the top five rated by mm-hmm. most accounts. And, and ASU hadn't signed more than one out of the top five in, in a 10-year period prior. So it wasn't just a, a numbers thing. I mean, it's the most since 2002. But that was a 30-man class, but but uh, also really good at the top. Is it is it a challenge to um, decide when to offer some of these local guys, when to take commitments from some of these local guys? Um, I mean, if you're going to make a mistake, obviously you'd probably rather have it be at home, of mm-hmm. course, right? But but what what is the the behind the scenes, the, the conversations that lead to some of those decisions on that? I think it's important, you know, when you're in state and also your recruiting base, when you offer someone um, a scholarship in this state, I think you're offering to take. You know, so I think, you know, we got to be diligent and we, we really go through and evaluate their character, their academics, and, and obviously their performance. And we got to make sure that they're guys that we want to take mm-hmm. before we offer anybody okay. in state. Because when you when you put that offer out there, you got to be right, expecting right. them to be able to that they're going to commit to us, and that's what we want. Um, so I think we're going to be very um, strategic on how we do that. That's why you don't see us offering everybody. Mm-hmm. You just don't. We, you know, we're very methodical on how we evaluate. I think our evaluation process is unique. I think our coaches are doing an outstanding job of of taking care of the process and making sure every. Everybody's getting their eyes on this young man, and then also Coach Graham. You know, he he watches film on every single young man that we offer, 
you know, and we don't offer, mm-hmm. you know, because he, he puts a stamp on it. So I think it's important to, to know, you know, that our people know in the state that when we put an offer to a young man, it's an offer that we want that young man to come to ASU. And there's a lot of a lot of schools that just throw tons of offers out there. Right. Um, you know, as been, coming through this whole process in a year, the guys that we signed, um, 85 80 80 percent of those guys, we had a relationship from April all the way till now. You know, from when I got here, and I'm not just saying me, but that's yeah. when I got here. So, you know, talking with those guys each and every week, you know, communicating with them, all the coaching staff, and we had some coaching staff leave, but we had relationships with multiple people on our staff with those young men that those young men didn't waver. They knew that they're committing to Arizona State University, not a coach, not a head coach, but to Arizona State University. You mentioned that these players that that you signed have had relationships with the program since April. Now that you've been here for almost a year, you've got the opportunity to go through an entire full recruiting cycle Mm -hmm. and really build toward the future. How important is it to you to start establishing relationships with players, not just in the state, but but throughout the regions that you guys are recruiting when they're sophomores and juniors? Yeah, I think, well, with this 2018 class, I think we got a a big time head start from where we were a year ago. So to me, I I think we're three and four months ahead of where we were a year ago um our, our coaching staff is set you know so I, I'm, I'm real confident that you know our, our new offensive coordinator defensive coordinator have done an outstanding job of prioritizing their day not not only getting their installs ready but also recruiting every day you know spending a couple hours in the film room um, evaluating talent and going through all those evaluations but no i think um uh, you know, us identifying the 18 class, and we are identifying, especially the in-state 19s, and some in our, you know, our primary focused area, Southern California, identifying those 19s. Um, but I, you know, really, to be honest, we we got to really focus on 18s. We got to focus on our own kids, mm-hmm. and we got to focus on the 18 kids, and build that, build those relationships, and get them on our campus. With our junior days coming up, that's important. Get them here in the summer um, to to be able to know our coaches to know our facility to know our climate to do everything everything about arizona state they need to know about so the more times we get them on campus uh the the better chance we have of developing a better relationship where they come to arizona state there's been just a slew of 2018 guys out of california who have been uh, mentioning their offers from asu in recent mm-hmm. days uh, you guys have been on a flurry of uh, of offering kids and and um you mentioned earlier in this conversation the importance of recruiting in California. Um, of course, Arizona is the most important thing, and then California, right? Mm-hmm. Um, last year, no high school kids out of California, California, which is the first time that's probably ever happened. Mm-hmm. Todd said maybe that's kind of anomalous, and, and then we also really like the Arizona Hall that we got. What's your uh, perception of where you're at from an infrastructural standpoint with uh, recruiting California at this stage? Well, I think, you know, Again, signing all those kids from Arizona yeah. had an impact on us not signing as many in California, but it wasn't from lack of effort in terms of the young number of kids we had come on our campus right. since the summer all the way up till signing day. Um, the number of the top prospects in California that visit our campus, and so we did do that. It just didn't work out. You know, we were in it to, uh, to the end on a lot of kids, mm-hmm. um, but we're we're gonna do, we're gonna do a little bit different approach. We're gonna we're gonna put nine coaches in California really so we're putting all nine in Arizona and we're putting nine in California which is something we haven't done so we've in the past two weeks our recruiting staff which uh, my, my assistants have done an outstanding job of taking these maps in these schools and manipulating them with all of our staff to make sure we're covering the whole state of California um you know so like I, I, in the spring, you're gonna oh yeah. have all nine. Oh, absolutely. For the the May evaluation yeah, period. Yeah, we'll hit we'll hit Arizona and we'll hit California, wow. and before we go to any other territory, you know that'll be our focus. And and then we got our, you know obviously Coach Graham's from the state of Texas. We, sure. we still have a, have a few coaches in Texas, but that'll be after we hit the um, Arizona and the California schools, and also the junior colleges. You know, which is big. You know, we're We've done a really good job with our junior college kids, so sure. you know we'll still recruit you know a number of those kids. What, what was the the conversation like with Todd or in, in formulating this kind of strategy? Well, you know, ever since I got here, we talk about what is our priority, what is our base. Mm-hmm. Our base is Arizona and Southern California, so and 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 also Las Vegas. Yeah. So um, we want to continue to make that a priority. Um, you look at your your past year and say, what can we do different? I think a lot of things, you know, the main one of the main reasons, and I was talking to one of the booster groups the other day. One of the main reasons is when, 
you know, you have three or four coaches in California and they have big areas. And one of those guys gets promoted to a head job or gets a, an offense coordinator. Those things happen. And so when you, that happens, you lose a huge area where they've tried to develop relationships with those guys and they leave and we don't have anybody in there. So we've, what we've done is we're going we're gonna to reduce those areas mm-hmm. and put everybody in there. And if someone were to get promoted and those type of things, it's, it's a smaller area. And then we could have someone, we also have a backup for each one of those areas. So, you know, and that could be a recruiting staff. It could be a coordinator, you know, backing it up. So we're going to make sure that we're, we're diligent in, in our recruiting strategy and make sure that, you know, just because a coach leaves that we're not losing that relationship. And, and I, and I look at the, how, what we did this year at this class, and I think we did just that with our, our head coach. Um, he did a really good job of our main top guys recruiting them all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when we lost some coaches there, we didn't lose our top guys because we had a focus from our head coach and all the other assistants and also our recruiting staff. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on the couch with my wife at 10 o'clock at night, you know, <laughs> the last 10 days up to signing day, and, and, and I'm communicating every single guy. There's about 30 of them I'm recruiting, and, and, and my wife is saying something to me, and I'm just, you know, she's watching the show, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm just texting. So next thing I know, I get a text. My wife is sitting right next to me. I get a text my wife, and she's asking me a question. And I'm like, why didn't you just ask me? And she's like, well, because you were, you were recruiting. Wait and until you, after February 1st. Yeah, so and that's what I told her. I said, you know, and Coach was – Coach was uh, generous and, and, and gave us some days off yeah. right after signing day, which is good. But that's the type of, that's the type of um, effort that's going to take from our whole staff to ensure that uh, we do a diligent job recruiting because recruiting just doesn't happen when they show up on campus. It's an everyday thing, and you're developing a relationship. And, and these relationships are genuine. Yeah. I mean, I still talk to our guys. You know, I think about Evan Fields. Evan Fields text, and we text back and forth. Our Arizona guys constantly texting back and forth with those guys. And they know we generally care about them. We just don't care just to sign them. We generally care about them. And I, I'm looking forward to, as, as we move forward, getting to know every single class where all these guys are part of, you know, the sure. classes that I help bring in. Yeah. But um, but we got a we, we got a good group coming in, I'm excited about. Todd, uh, Todd has said that you, perhaps more than – anyone else push him on a daily basis to be more involved and to really be regimented in, in recruiting. How important is it to you to, to make the head coach uh, the face of the program when it comes to recruiting? Well, I think, you know, he just has so many things going on. I mean, yeah. with all the fundraising stuff he does and, you know, obviously taking care of our team now and our coaching staff and support staff and all the things he has to do. And plus he has a, he has a family at home he has to take care of as well. You know, he's a young son. It's, that's involved in sports and stuff. So he has a lot of different things. He's got a lot of irons in the fire. So I just, you know, we, we, we try to pick our battles and when is the right time for, for coach to make some calls. And, you know, I text him, I, you know, make sure. And, you know, and he's, cause we have a schedule. I'll make sure I schedule the kid to make sure he's going to be available for coach to call or the kid to call coach. And, and coach has been great about that. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's just trying to, he has so many things going on. I mean, the guy works, 18, 20 hours a day. So just trying to find some time for he can he can fit in there. And I think I think hiring these two coordinators is going to help coach a lot too and free up a little bit more time to recruit. But he's he loves he loves talking to the parents and the players and the recruits. I mean he just loves doing that. Yeah. And he, he does he develops a great relationship with those guys. And I think that they they know he's genuine. He's gonna he says I mean he's gonna shoot you straight. He's gonna tell you exactly how it is. And I think I think the parents and the players appreciate that. But yeah, I think it's just a, a team team effort you know and I'm you know it's it's not about me it's about we and however way I can help coach you know make our program better I'm gonna do that there's a very rich uh, walk-on program historically mm-hmm. uh, at ASU and um, it really seems like since uh, you've, you've been here that that's been kicked up a notch and you've seen a lot of guys announcing how happy they are to be able to take you know preferred walk-on opportunities or, or what have you at ASU. How, how important do you think that is from a community standpoint? And am I right in, in, in the perception that it seems like it's been a, a big focus? Yeah, yes it has. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I think the you know, the guy that's in charge of our walk-on program who's done an outstanding job is Conrad Hamilton. Okay. He's the one that's really headed that up. And, you know, I've helped him and assisted in any way I can. Um, you know, t- this morning we had, you know, uh, a tryout with, with young men on this campus, and we had over 40 guys. And um, it went really well. There were some good players. Hmm. And so we, we, we left there thinking, you know, there's, there's probably 15 guys that, that, can, that can come in the spring and, 
and work out with us and you never know what happens. Mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously from the in-state, uh, we want to take the best and the brightest and bring them to Arizona State. And some of them, you know, it's a lot of it's about numbers. You just don't have the numbers to give them a scholarship or maybe even the position. We don't have the open position for them. But they're good enough players to play here. So, um, or they just didn't get quite the scholarship offers that they would like to. They come here, and Coach Graham has been pretty good about, you know, giving guys scholarships that have been walk-on. So, I, I, you know, I think it's a great opportunity. I think it's great for the community. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to when, you know, Coach first started here five years ago where he started that youth program. Well, those kids are now starting to get into high school. Right. You know, so all those kids, all that – work and bringing those young men to our camp and stuff is going to start paying off and you'll see in five to ten years all those guys that came to those little kids camps at arizona state those full padded camps you'll see them you know transition to being sun devils and those it's those type of relationships where they they feel that they they want to be a sun devil whether you get a scholarship or not i want, I want to come to arizona state and i want to play for asu um, seeing those guys on the sideline i think is very important because you know they, they're all going to come out of the tillman tunnel at the same time yeah and only 11 are going to play. That's the way it is. And you got a 120-man roster. Only, only, you know, what, a 35 to 45 play. So there's a lot of guys don't get the opportunity to play. But you know, I look about, I look at what's it going to be for their life 20 years from now when they're a Sun Devil graduate. It doesn't matter 20 years from now when you're standing in that tunnel. As you, and that's what gives me the chills. You walk through that tunnel every every game. There's no coaches in that tunnel. There's no former coaches. That's all former players. And as I walk through there, I don't know who started and who didn't. I don't know who was a walk-on, who was a scholarship. 20 years from now, it doesn't matter. It matters that they're football alumni, they're Arizona State alumni. And I think that the doors that open when you're an in-state guy in this state to play at Arizona State and be an alumni, the doors that open for your career as a, as a man, a husband, and a father, and you know all those things are, are astronomical. So I think it's, it's big time. Coach, thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time today. We talk a lot about food on this show. One final question for you. Your favorite local restaurant. Wow. Well, my, my <laughs> wife would – my wife doesn't – she likes it. She just thinks she smells like barbecue every time she comes out. Um, my favorite place is Casey Jones Grill. It's okay. up in North Phoenix. Been I've been going there for 25 years. I know the owner, Dave, very well and his wife. They've, they've been generous to my programs at Paradise Valley and ACU. They fed all my players every Saturday at ACU. Um, great food. It's a, it's a packer. It's one of those Green Bay Packer, Wisconsin places, you know, but uh, um, great food. But, yeah, what's great your, place. What's your menu item of choice there? <laughs> um, chicken tenders. They're the best chicken tenders in the Valley. Okay. They awesome. have cheesesteaks there, too. But, uh, yeah, everything's good there. Was, so Dave, Dave will like that. I gave him a good plug. A nice plug, yeah. yeah All right, absolutely. next meal, chicken tenders. There you Sounds go. good. Yes, Coach Johnny Antis, Arizona State's Assistant Athletic Director for Recruiting, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you very much. Go Devils.